Welcome to episode three of Short Talks. I'm Sierra Foshi, and as always, I'm joined by two other mentors from Project Short. Hi, I'm Adam. I'm an incoming first-year PhD student in cognitive psychology at Harvard University. I study adolescent brain development, broadly how external social and environmental factors combined with internal neurophysiology logical changes during puberty influence emotion processing and cognitive control, and then how those in turn shape social behaviors during adolescence. Uh, yeah, so uh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Don Trung. I'm a fourth-year uh, postdoctoral fellow at uh, MD Anderson Cancer Center. Uh, my field of study is understanding the differentiation or lineage of uh, various sarcomas. Uh, we use single-cell RNA sequencing to study the transcriptome of these sarcomas to find possible transcription factors or gene regulatory networks that we can modulate and essentially adjust the differentiation of a sarcoma from perhaps a malignant high-grade to a less uh, high, uh, malignant, more benign, uh, lower-grade tumor. Yeah, well, it's so great to have you both. Yeah, so the topic for today is kind of PhD application mistakes. So at, around this time of the application process, um, the applications are probably open or about to open if they haven't already. So I think on a lot of mentees' minds right now is kind of broadly going into the process, um, just like helpful things to keep in mind generally. There's a lot of moving parts to these applications and for each kind of part, there might be, uh, you know, things that they need, like do's and don'ts to keep in mind. But I thought it would just be really helpful for us to kind of share some of the things that we wish we had done differently when we were applying in sort of a hindsight is 2020 type of way. Or if you have more experience with mentees, you could also comment on like uh, common mistakes that you might see them make that you um, try to kind of guide them uh, to, to fixing. So. I can definitely talk a lot about this uh, myself. I definitely have a lot of uh, things I could have done better when I applied. Um, I think one big thing, and this is a more general thing with PhD applications, is I really underestimated how competitive the process was. I think I sort of approached it as if it were like applying to colleges, like as an undergrad. And I didn't, you know, it's like you when you're making your school list, you have like, uh, reach schools, target schools, and safety schools or something. And I was sort of trying to do that with grad school. And then I think in retrospect, not realizing that they were really all reach schools at that point, just because of how competitive the process was. Um, but yeah, I guess, are there any, is there anything in particular that kind of comes to mind when you think about your own uh, process in applying? I had the exact same realization, contrasting it with applying to college for undergrad. Uh, I think we have a lot of, like, like that process is probably ingrained in your mind and, and you expect there to be similarities and there are going to be some similarities, like you, you're going to have your at, as, at essay for admissions, for example, but uh, overall it's very different, especially if you're applying to psychology programs or any program that's direct admit as opposed to rotation based, it's like all about the advisor. So it's not necessarily going to be like, you know, the more prestigious schools are going to be the ones that are more difficult to get into. It's it's going to be all about advisor fit. So on one hand, um, you're going to want to apply to the advisor that 
best matches your research interests. And that could be it. It's like the, the prestige thing is so much more tied to your advisor than it is the program because your advisor could be working at like a school that maybe not many people have heard of, but they're like top in their field. Or conversely, if you have a specific research area of interest and you have like a top choice school that everyone knows about, but maybe no one there is researching in your specific area, then that school won't necessarily make sense to apply to. So you have to approach it very differently than undergrad in, in a way that's more focused on your looking at what advisors might be best for you. Um, you kind of mentioned the prestige of the program versus the advisor, like certainly the more prestigious or the top schools that get a lot of applications um, naturally will be more competitive. But I think surprisingly, even with smaller schools or programs, uh, the competition also comes from just there being fewer spots. I know some programs can admit as few as like two or three students per year. And so I think also just being aware of yeah, like the the class size for each school can also be a big factor in like your your kind of it's kind of a numbers game at that point. No, yeah, I mean it's not just like as as we all mentioned, just applying to a regular uh, university or college. You really have to have that advisor fit. And one of the things that I wish I did, uh, especially when I was applying, was to look at the different uh, labs. Uh, that were available within the department I was interested in. So, so first of all, you have to have which department uh, that you're interested in and then see the labs that are available, what type of research is actually being offered in those uh, the labs, because maybe your research interest doesn't align with any of the professors in that department. And secondly, um, within those labs, perhaps None of the professors are hiring. You can check their websites, go through their websites, especially if they are available. I really recommend it. And you can see if they have like a hiring uh, page or who they're looking for. And they'll typically describe what kind of candidate they're they're looking for. And so if you think you're a good fit, um, definitely apply for that type of position. They might ask even they might even ask you to email them, but for sure uh, apply uh, using the standard application. So I think, uh, that was my mistake, and I sure because uh, I just applied. I didn't look at the professors or departments. Uh, fortunately, someone actually liked my my CV, so I did get into somewhere. <laughs> but I think taking a more, um, I guess, surgical approach uh, and, and really looking into what you are applying to rather than just applying um, generally. Mm -hmm. Don, yeah. was your program rotation-based or were you admitted by a specific? So, so that's another very good question, you know, in, in different types of schools that do uh, rotation versus where uh, uh, you just joined a mentor. Well, in my case, uh, the department I was in did not have rotation. So what happened was you applied. Um, you could have, like I said, emailed professors, but I did not. So they had an interview day instead. So I, I I went to the interview day and it was sort of like a, uh, I guess, what was it called? Speed dating or something. And you kind of sat through 10 minutes of interviews with different professors and, and then you interviewed one another. Um, and, and so that was how uh, mine uh, interview process. But I think uh, rotation-based, if I had gone back, I may have preferred a rotation-based. Yeah, I think that's a super important point you bring up with the research fit. Um, 
personally, uh, the first time I applied to PhD programs, I actually didn't get any acceptances. So I can kind of speak to like mistakes that are probably make or break for applications. Um, and I think that is definitely one of them. Um, even though I was applying to like rotation-based programs, um, they definitely want to see that you're able to fit within their department in terms of your research interests. Um, not necessarily like your previous experiences, but what you're interested in pursuing in grad school. And I definitely was looking over my old applications and I was kind of like, no one cares about this. Why, why did I say I was interested in this topic? I think um, I'm not going to say exactly what it was, because honestly, it's a bit embarrassing how unrelated it was to anything. But um, I would definitely say that's an important thing to keep in mind and to do your research about um, the specific research that's kind of going on in that program. And you can kind of convey that um, at different points, but especially in your personal statement when you're talking about your plans for grad school and who specifically uh, you might want to work with and kind of making a connection um, maybe ideally to your past research experiences but certainly to your um, the current things that you're interested in pursuing because I think from the perspective of programs if they read my application and they thought yeah no one no one here is really doing that um, it, it would certainly be a, a ding to an applicant. So with the reality of how competitive these programs are, it's very easy to look at that and say then, okay, I should apply to like 20 schools to improve my chances. And I think we could explore the pros and cons of that type of approach, because on one hand, it's like, yeah, the more programs you apply to, the more chances you have. But on the other hand, you're probably going to have a fairly narrow research uh, area of expertise. And it's like, so the more you stray from that, uh, the, the lower your chances actually get. Like looking back, I applied to 13 schools, which I think was way too many. And I was basically applying to those extra schools because I was thinking like, what if I don't get into my top choices? I need to have safety options. And then in reality, the, the schools that were like second picks for me weren't safety options. They were, I my chances were actually lower there because the research fit wasn't as good. So looking back, I, I wouldn't have applied to so many schools. Yeah, I think that's a good point. There's definitely pros and cons um, with that sort of, I guess, shotgun approach. Um, another thing to consider is like, not just the money aspect where the more schools you apply to, the more fees you have to pay just to actually apply to them, but they also just like the physical work of of doing all of those applications. It might be better spent kind of narrowing in on the smaller number that you're very interested in going to. And I definitely made this mistake probably both times I applied in terms of applying to schools that I thought I had a better chance of getting into, but realistically wouldn't have been very happy going to, in which case it's probably not worth your time um, going through all the rigor moral of filling out the application and tailoring your personal statement to that program and things like that. And also not really worth their time in terms of reviewing those kinds of applications. So. Mm -hmm. so so two comments there. One is optimistic and one is what I imagine is a common mistake. So the optimistic thing is that there are fee waivers available at a lot of schools. And I imagine that specifically for the types of students that Project Short is targeting, many of, of these students might be eligible. So you can look into that. And then the mistake might be that if you're applying to a bunch of schools, even if you get fee waivers, so even if it's free, 
you might be tempted to write your essay in such a manner where it's like you have the bulk of your essay being the same and then you just like control f replace the name of the school that you're applying to so it's basically the same essay but for different schools and it's like that's tempting because it saves you a lot of work but then obviously if it's less tailored to a specific school um your chances might go down there because presumably if if you shape the essay for that particular program you might have better chances there for sure that's true yeah i think the more specific you can get about the reasons you're applying to the programs the more obvious it'll be that one you're like actually interested in going there because schools want to accept people who will accept their offer because that's, you know, um, they don't want to accept a student in their limited number of spots that isn't going to end up going to their school. Um, and also just shows that you've like done your research in terms of looking into um, the resources that are available at that program or like the professors that are there and that you'd really be a good fit for like the department. So I definitely agree with that. No, yeah, sure, of course. I mean, I think you have to kind of think it in their perspective, too. They're also investing in you as well. You're going to be there for around four to six years, and and then your publications will have their uh, school name and institution along with it. So they want to have someone that will be productive and successful at their in their department uh, at all levels, even department, even your advisor as well. When they're looking for a student, they want to see someone that they think that will be successful. And, and fit is definitely part of that. Yeah, for sure. I think um, we've kind of talked about the parts of the application where you convey what you plan on doing in the future. Um, personally, I've been a mentor for a couple of years. So I think um, another thing that uh, gets brought up with my own mentees is how they talk about the work that they've done in the past and explaining their um, research experiences. And I think one thing that can sometimes trip people up is when you're talking about like a research project that you did, people are very good at saying, these are the methods that we used and this is the result that we got. And I think um, a lot of people tend to stop there. And what I tell a lot of mentees is like, you need to have that last kind of so what statement about why this research was significant to like the broader field or a potential future direction or a clinical application that this result could have, um, kind of conveying that you understood the rationale behind this project or are familiar with the field at large and are also able to connect it more broadly into kind of your research journey and how it's shaped you as a scientist or shaped your, your interests and things like that. I had some great uh, advice from one of my professors on that, which is basically like when you apply, you're going to give them your CV as well, which states everything that you've done in your lab. So it's it's like they have that information already. My first draft of my essay was sort of like my CV in prose, where it's like, here's everything I did. And my professor said, like, we, we see all this on your CV already. What we want to know is like the personal side of why do you why did you actually do this? What does it mean to you? Why do you care? And I think that's what what the research statement is really all about, because it's like you want it. You want them to be complementary. You have the more personal narrative of why this research matters, combined with the technical skills that are going to be listed on your CV that they already know you have. Yeah, that's a really great point, I think. Um... That's also kind of a good leeway into talking about the CV itself. Um, when I look at mentees' CVs, 
I think that there's some some ambiguity about like do's and don'ts in terms of what to include and what not to include. And I think sometimes people are a little bit um, too conservative about what they should include. Like I've talked to people who think that they can only put accepted and publication uh, accepted and published papers on their CVs. Whereas, um, at least for my own program, we definitely encourage people to put things uh, manuscripts that have been like submitted or are in press or have been accepted but not published or just available online. Those kind of finished research projects um, are definitely. Uh, appropriate to put on your CV at that stage. Yeah, curriculum we tie in Latin literally stands for life's work. So take that at face value. Yeah, you have to certainly be careful though. I mean, I think uh, you can put as much as you like in there, but it, it also serves a purpose for the uh, advisor or anyone that's interviewing you for, I guess, uh, questions that they can draw from. What did you do exactly here in this project or in that? So whatever you do put in, make sure it's something that you uh, are familiar with and you have, I guess, a lot of enthusiasm with as well. I mean, you, how you want to continue this work either in your current state or perhaps integrating this uh, previous work with what you plan to do in um, at the university or the program that you apply to. I think that will show a lot of initiative as well as some forward thinking that a lot of professors are looking for. Yeah, that's a great point. I think if you include anything on your CV, you should definitely be able to speak to it well. That includes not just like posters or publications, but any research experiences that you do. And that kind of relates to what we were talking about earlier with being able to explain for every project that you were involved in, like the rationale and the significance behind it um, can kind of convey, yeah, just that you understood what you were doing when you were working in that lab. Um, I think letters of rec is also like an important part of the application. Um, I know the first time I applied, um, usually, I think usually they ask for three letters. So one of my letters was from my PI and that was a strong letter because he could talk about my research potential. Um, but then the other two were from um, kind of professors who I'd like taken one class with them and like I had done well in the class, but did they know me that well? I, I'm not really sure. So I don't know how well those letters might've um, kind of conveyed my, uh, potential for grad school. Um, so the next time I applied, all three of my letters were from PIs that I have do had done research with or collaborated with in like a lab setting. And I think that really strengthened my application. So I think it's, it's, it's important to think about exactly who's writing your letters and what specifically they can say about you. Um, and, and maybe starting to think early about kind of establishing those relationships with people. Yeah, I think for sure that getting a letter from uh, a, a professor that you took a course with is not as strong as getting one from a PI. And then in this case, if you know you're going to apply to grad school, you can certainly talk with your PI if you're um, an undergrad in, in the lab and tell them that that's what you're interested in, interested in, and and then ask them to let you in on more meetings, perhaps with other PIs or in part of collaboration, so you can actually network at that level because sometimes it's intimidating as an undergrad when you're in a lab you're kind of like you know doing some of this bench work or technical things but you're never part of the decision making or part of the larger meeting so you have to let your your, your curtain mentor know that's what you're inter interested in and, and have him or her uh, guide you and help you 
grad students as well, whether in your lab or in your department, can be a great resource to talk to. Yeah, absolutely. I also think um, it's definitely appropriate to offer to kind of help out your letter writers in terms of like just sending them things like, remember I did this, this, and this, like giving them specifics that they could include in their letter. Um, it helps them out because, you know, they, they're they probably writing a lot of these letters and it might be hard to, for single instances from single people to really uh, jump out in their memory, but it also helps you because now they can write uh, a more tailored letter with some of your highlights. Um, let's see, I feel like I've kind of hit all of the points that I wanted to hit. Um, and time-wise, we're looking good. So are there any like last points that you guys wanted to bring up before we wrap up? Think seriously about location when you apply. Don't apply anywhere that you couldn't genuinely see yourself living for five plus years, because then it's like you put all this work into the application. And even if you get in, if you're not going to see yourself committing there, then it might have been a wasted effort. Um, and thinking about that list of schools we were talking about earlier, you know, like schools you think you'll get into and schools that are safe. I think one of the things I regretted was um, not applying to schools that I thought I may not had a chance to, even though perhaps my research actually fit well with those schools, because but I felt that they were too prestigious and I may not have the uh, credentials for it. But at that stage, I mean, sometimes you don't know, you, you really don't know what they're looking for sometimes. And if you can, if you believe that you are fit based on some of your research uh, interest, and and like I said, going through some of the uh, department level research, with you know, different professors, maybe you do fit there. But so my mistake was this, I, I felt was applying to a limited number of schools that were less prestigious or had less research uh, research um, resources than, than than I would have liked. So I think, uh, you know, be really tailored in, in, in where you want to go, but also don't think that you can't reach something just because you think it's too prestigious. Really look into the re their research and maybe you do fit there. Um, thank you both so much for coming on and um... Yeah. All right. Awesome. It was so nice talking to you guys. Thank you. Best of luck to all future applicants. Thank you for having us. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Short Talks. If you'd like to learn more about applying to grad school, you can find additional resources on the Project Short website. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope to see you again shortly. Bye.